You are listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, Season 1, Episode 13. With Citizenship and Immigration Canada making it increasingly difficult to speak to an officer, there are a few places to turn for information that can be relied upon. The Canadian Immigration Podcast was created to fill this void by offering the latest information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. Please welcome ex-immigration officer and Canadian immigration lawyer, Mark Holthy. As he answers a wide variety of immigration questions and shares practical tips and guidance to help you along your way. Well, hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Canadian Immigration Podcast. This is episode 13 of our first season. I'm your host, Mark Holthy, coming to you live this beautiful, beautiful, I guess it's summer now, afternoon uh, in uh, Lethbridge, Alberta. I am very pleased to have an opportunity to host another episode. I really enjoy this. Um, over the last little while, I've kind of dabbled a little bit. I've taken my time. I've done an episode here, an episode there. I really have not quite found my voice, I guess, if you will, but I'm getting there. This podcast is something that uh, if I think if I could do this all day and, uh, and just podcast all day and share insights and knowledge about Canadian immigration law policy and, and the crazy practice of immigration law... I'd probably like doing that even more than working on the applications themselves. Um, And also, it's always been a little bit of a challenge here as I've experimented with audio and sound quality and all of these crazy things, uh, basically to try and find the right sound for this podcast. So bear with me. Uh, I've got a new mic coming for my next episode. So hopefully you'll be able to hear a little bit of a difference and have even a better sound. But anyways, it's been a a very positive experience and... uh, Hopefully, um, well, I'm getting some positive feedback from people, and uh, sometimes that's all of the the reward that you could ask for is to have people comment. So I welcome any feedback that you want to send me. Uh, You can reach out to me um, through the CanadianImmigrationPodcast.com website, uh, through my law firm website, ht-llp.com, or through Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or any of the other social media platforms that I tend to surf around. Uh, at any rate, episode 13 is, is actually going to be um, somewhat of a similar flavor uh, to what I did for episode 12. In this episode, I am going to share some insights that, uh, that I obtained, or really that most of the Canadian immigration lawyers that are a part of the Canadian Bar Association these are some insights that were shared with us uh, by the Minister of Immigration, Refugees, and Citizenship Canada, uh, John McCallum. And he came to our Canadian Bar Association's National Immigration Section that was held just recently in Vancouver on April the 7th uh, through to the 9th of this year. And in episode 12 of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, I uh, told you that I was going to be sharing a little bit of insight I considered doing just a blog and and uh, and writing some of the highlights, but it's more fun to to talk about it. And uh, unfortunately, I'm one of those people who doesn't mind getting in front of a mic, and so it made a whole lot more sense to me just to create a podcast out of this than to just simply blog. So let's dive right into this. Um, you know, the reality is there's been a lot of coverage uh, on what the Liberals have been doing with uh, immigration in this fine country. 
And the culture of immigration has been transforming considerably. Um, when I think about the experience we had last year with Minister Alexander, our conservative, um, uh, a conservative immigration minister, and his reception and his speech that he gave to our national conference compared to Minister McCallum's speech and the tone of his discussion, boy, uh, I would have to classify uh, Minister McCallum as a rock star. <laughs> um, he entered with applause uh, from the, the, the other immigration lawyers. He was well-received. He was at ease in front of us. He was basically comfortable in his own skin. And, and you know, it totally, um, it, it just contrasted so amazingly with the experience we had last year with uh, our conservative MP, um, uh, and our conservative immigration minister, um, Chris Alexander. And it, it's quite interesting to see because, uh, you know, previous minister Alexander really traded us, uh, you know, I, I got the sense that there was a little bit of contempt there <laughs> and that uh, he didn't like the the manner in which we, you know, interacted with the government. And I won't want to get in, I don't want to get into all of the ins and outs, but let's just say uh, we're under a whole new culture. And uh, before I get too far into this, I, I really have to start off this podcast with one caveat. I am 100% true and blue, card-carrying conservative party member. So although we have a liberal government and, uh, you know, the, the, uh, and the, the immigration minister is obviously from that government, I can tell you that I am 100% conservative all the way. I hold those values dear, and I intended to continue my active involvement with the party long into the future. However, with that being said, um, and despite my best efforts to find fault, there was very little I could complain about with the vision that uh, Minister McCallum put forward uh, in that uh, speech he gave to, to us lawyers. You know, I actually really liked the guy. Um, so with that caveat and, uh, you know, recognizing that um, I'm a top 10 list guy, I thought I would put together this, in this podcast, uh, a list of my top 10 highlights from Minister McCallum's speech to the CBA immigration section. Now, hopefully this, hopefully this list will actually have 10 highlights as opposed to episode 12. If you're listening to that episode somehow or along, the, you know, somehow along the way, I, I missed a number four, I think. And so I just jumped from three to five. Um, but uh, this one, I'm pretty sure is not going to end up with nine. I think we do have 10 on the list. So let's dive right into it. Here we go. So the first thing, um, and this is something more for all of the immigration counsel that's listening to this podcast, lawyers, consultants, the liberals are actually willing to listen to us representatives and obviously indirectly our clients in shaping the immigration landscape of Canada into the future. And so that was one of the messages that Minister McCallum started off his whole speech with was that, you know, he knows that the CBA and I've been an active member of the Canadian Bar Association and its executive and uh, local chapter chair here in Alberta and the, so the Southern Alberta chapter in Calgary. I've been involved since the day I started my practice and really even before. And uh, when I was an articling student and, and uh, uh, that's how I got my introduction to the CBA. But he recognized, Minister McCallum, that the CBA has worked, you know, really hard 
to produce reports on the temporary foreign worker program and express entry and a whole host of things that um, that really impressed the minister. He was pleased with our contributions, and uh, he indicated that he didn't disagree with anything that we said. And so obviously he's more in line with, I guess, the general populace of, of, of immigration lawyers in the country, at least those that are part of the Canadian Bar Association. But this was a stark contrast to the previous regime. And once again, remember, I am a conservative, but holy cow, I can tell you, you know, the, 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 the previous regime basically considered their relationship and interaction with the CBA and us immigration lawyers as uh, one of an adversarial nature uh, versus collaborative. And I always took issue with that. It just really bothered me because it didn't have to be that way. But anyways, the first thing uh, is that the relationship with us as immigration lawyers and, and, and uh, consultants has definitely uh, improved under the, the new regime. Okay, number two, he provided an update on the refugee situ- situation in Canada and explained um, some of the future intentions that he has for the whole refugee portfolio. He highlighted uh, the successes of the Liberals in bringing in 25,000 refugees to Canada by the end of February 2016. Now they promised that it was going to happen before the year's end, but I think once they dived into it and realized, wow, this is a mammoth undertaking, uh, then it took them a little bit longer to get it done than they anticipated. But with that being said, um, they, they clearly uh, got it done and uh, there was no beating around the bush. Uh, it's interesting that, you know, in the, in the real heat of that moment when they announced that they were going to be bringing in all these Syrian refugees, this was at the time of the Paris attacks. So the, you know, the terrorist attacks in Paris and concerns about, you know, whether letting refugees in would allow terrorists in, uh, you know, to sneak in at the same time. And uh, Minister McCallum just highlighted how, you know, Canadians, and generally speaking, the feelings of Canadians really were transformed from ones of security concerns to, uh, well, in his own words, a huge welcome that was provided by Canadians across the country to these refugees. And I know we have some in Lethbridge here. Uh, Others have gone to to Calgary and, and Vancouver and out east and the Maritimes all over. And it's been just really a wonderful story. Uh, something that we should all be proud of. Uh, Minister McCallum, he, he, uh, he felt that, uh, quote, he was the only in- immigration minister in the whole world whose main challenge uh, was to provide enough Syrian refugees to satisfy the overwhelming generosity of people who wanted to sponsor them. And he's right. You know, the, once the momentum got going, it's been quite unbelievable how many private uh, groups uh, have stepped forward with a desire to sponsor refugees. Now, <clears throat> my hope is that those desires would extend beyond just Syrian refugees, but to other refugees all over the world that are genuinely suffering. Now, uh, the Liberals have committed to bringing in another 10,000, which Minister McCallum indicated that they would expedite as quickly as possible. Um, but he also emphasized that the Liberal levels planning are capped at 300,000. So this is an absolute maximum for the country. And he said, one more refugee beyond that, or, you know, within that total, means one less of something else. And so at this stage, he's quadrupled the number of refugees that we have admitted to the country. Um, But, uh, 
they recognize that there is a hard cap, so, so. 10,000 more, and then you know, they're looking at a target of 300,000, which is actually in excess of, of anything that we've done to this, to this point. All right. And uh, he also highlighted the fact that they have restored uh, health care to refugees. And uh, that was another item that they had identified. Okay, let's jump to number three. Well, just to, to recap, sorry, I'm jumping ahead here. I'll try to recap this. So number two was essentially all of the positives that they had accomplished with respect to Canada's image um, regarding refugees internationally and just all the positives that have uh, occurred um, in their, uh, during the time of their, their reign. Okay, number three, Canadian Citizenship Act. Well, this was revoked in part. So Bill C-6 that was introduced by the Liberals um, essentially ensured that there is one class of Canadians in Canada again. And he reiterated once again that they believe a Canadian is a Canadian is a Canadian. And uh, one thing I found interesting was that he, he said, quote, the place for terrorists is in jail, not at the airport. And I guess, you know, that is one of the one of the arguments, right? You can ship them off and then have them join, you know, uh, these these um, terrorist organizations and then, you know, cause further problems. Or we can incarcerate our own, which are Canadian citizens, and take responsibility for them. And uh, if in any way, shape or form, it's a lot easier to rehabilitate someone and help them to, you know, to change their ways if they're here versus socializing and being a part of the, you know, the whole... Um, undertaking that the uh, the terrorist organization is, is entering into overseas. So that's Mr. McCallum's, uh, Minister McCallum's position. Now, I also want to qualify that this is me sharing his thoughts, and I don't necessarily prescribe to everything that he says, but there are very few things that I'll share today that are actually, uh, I guess, uh, different than, than my own personal views. <coughs> All right, number four. He highlighted the various changes that are coming for the family class. And uh, one of the things he identified was the restoration of the age of dependence um, for dependent children from 19 back to 21. And I'm just going to grab a quick drink here. (coughs) All right, I'm back. So he indicated that he signed the document to restore that age of dependence back to 22. However, uh, the minister indicated that it was probably going to be about a year. It was going to be about a year and a half uh, before that <clears throat> those changes uh, took effect and went through the proper regulatory process. And he indicated, goodness knows why, going from <clears throat> 19 uh, to 22 should take a year and a half. And uh, and uh, but that is just uh, just the way it is. All right, so let's jump to number five. <clears throat> Actually, no. Before I get to number five. He also brought up the fact that he is going to end the two-year conditional status on spousal applications. And really, this isn't news. This is a commitment that they had uh, put forward within the election. And um, also, they had identified the, their desire to reduce substantially the processing times of family class members. And uh, another interesting little quote from the minister uh, was that he said, just as he is very proud as a Canadian for refugees coming in, He's ashamed that the heavy hand of the Canadian, the Canadian state keeps spouses apart for two years. Uh, amen to that, Minister. You're 100% correct. Why in the world does it take almost two years or more to process a spousal sponsorship application? Um, he indicated that this is unacceptable, and I agree with him. 
This is not something that can be fixed like flicking a switch with Bill C-6, so that's the Citizenship Act changes. Uh, on the other hand, he said, uh, on this one, it takes longer. So he's right, but it's great to hear that they're going to address those things. And, and he said, obviously, that the solution <clears throat> to addressing these uh, processing times, one is to increase the maximum uh, number of immigrants we take in each year. So one of the realities is processing times are what they are because the government only has room to process so many in a year. And so it doesn't matter how many officers they have available to work on the applications. That's not always the issue. The issue is the levels planning, and they can only process up to a certain level. So that is something to, to take into consideration. And he, he said that um, one of the solutions is to increase this 300,000 to a higher number in future levels planning um, so that they can bring in more immigrants and more spouses which will then allow them to get the processing times down faster because they'll be able to produce, they'll be able to adjudicate more applications in a given year. Um, in order to accomplish this, he said that there's really two things: one, more money, and that makes sense. You need more officers and more resources to process the applications. Uh, but more importantly, he said is that the government is focused on doing things more efficiently, and that with the experience they had bringing in all of those refugees. Uh, those Syrian refugees from Lebanon and Jordan and, and other countries, um, they learn how to do things faster. But while at the same time, and he emphasized this, not compromising security and, and you know, health and, and those kinds of things. <clears throat> and so he emphasized that the government is trying to get away from processing uh, things in, in a sequential fashion, first A, then B, then C, to a more concurrent processing of A, B, C together. And uh, so he said that they must transfer uh, the experience that they had in bringing refugees and their families into Canada um, into the family class. And really, you think about it, there's not really much to assess in terms of family applications uh, other than is the relationship genuine? You know, is, are they truly uh, um, a genuine spouse or a dependent child? And if not, it's the security and background checks that, you know, really there shouldn't be too much delay. So he indicated that he told his department to, quote, get to work. Um, but he also confirmed that that's exactly what they're doing. So that's positive news for spouses. And um, he indicates that more positive news will be coming in the uh, following weeks, which for, you know, for politicians could mean months or longer. But anyways, another positive. All right. So we've covered refugees. We've covered family class applications. Now, what do the Liberals have in store for economic class applications? And I think you all know where I'm going with this one. <clears throat> it's, interesting to, it's interesting to note that right off the bat, Minister McCallum said he hates the term economic immigrants. And this is just, you know, the, 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 uh, the reason I, I say this or the reason I quote this um, is, is because Minister McCallum uh, said that all immigrants contribute economically to the country. And when you say economic immigrant, it just implies that somehow they, you know, provide a greater contribution and that the others don't. And he said in 2016, you know, there's, there's many family class applications and applicants that come in and, uh, you know, whether they're spouses, whether they're parents, grandparents that do make a contribution. And he identified that parents and grandparents actually enable the father and the mother to, to go out and work. They're able to care for the children. And so indirectly, they are actually contributing. 
and they're not just a, a simple drain. And so I, that is one clear shift away from the, you know, the policy and the culture uh, of um, of the conservative government versus the liberals. The liberals see not only economic immigrants as being able to contribute, but but all other immigrants, whether they come through the family class uh, or whether they come in as refugees, uh, they don't see them as liabilities. And uh, he emphasized as well that refugees come, they work, they contribute, and you know they do this quickly. Maybe it's not immediately because it takes time for them to get established and in some cases to learn the language, but really in the medium run, he said, um, you know, they're right on the pavement, you know, working, contributing, and helping to move our economy forward. Um, so he said and, and emphasized, let's not use the word economic immigrants because all immigrants contribute to the country to one degree or another. So I thought that was pretty cool and uh, definitely not something that we heard our previous uh, regime state. Um, and there goes my caveat again. I'm conservative. I just did not agree with the direction that some of the leadership of the conservatives um, were going with respect to immigration. Now, without slagging them too much, you know, Minister Kenny and Minister Alexander, they made a lot of really important changes to the programs uh, to, to just improve on a, a, you know, on a department that had not seen any real significant changes for years and years. But for all of those significant transformations that the conservatives made to immigration in Canada, and and let's let's be fair here, I don't think there was one immigration program category that was not changed under the, you know, under the leadership of the the Conservative Party. Well, as soon as the Liberals got in, they immediately start unra- started unraveling any of those changes or policies that. Uh, went counter to, to, to their feelings in terms of how they saw the immigration program uh, leading the way in our fine country here. So Minister McCallum then jumped to uh, something that's near and dear to my heart, <clears throat> and that is the express entry regime. And of course, this was awesome for me because I was one of the lawyers who presented at our national conference on express entry. And uh, so this is something, like I said, that's near and dear to my heart, something that I love to uh, help people with and speak about. And I've uh, written blogs and all of those kinds of things all on this topic. And it's really something that I'm going to focus on in the future even more. And uh, he indicated that um, when they were first campaigning, they really didn't have much to go on in terms of the express entry program because it was so new. So they weren't really critical nor praising of the the program because, you know, they just didn't know enough about it. But now they're in the process of looking at ways to reform express entry. And uh, fortunately for me, Minister McCallum indicated that they are interested and value the CBA's input. So uh, I must admit I was very pleased to hear that. Um, He indicated, the minister, that he had attended a meeting with various Ontario business people um, at uh, one of the Ontario Chamber of Commerce uh, meetings. And uh, he indicated that those business people ranked the different, um, you know, immigration streams uh, for, you know, for achieving permanent resident status uh, in the following order. He said that first they ranked uh, temporary foreign worker program the best for meeting their needs, then the PNP, then last express entry. And I think we all really know why that is. It's because the LOIA process, labor market impact assessment process, just dominates the program. So if you're a worker that's fortunate enough to have an LMIA, then pretty much you're guaranteed. But the reality is the 
there is a vast number of workers in Canada and highly desirable candidates overseas that will never qualify through express entry because they don't have an LMIA. And I think you've probably, you know, if you, I think I, qu- I was quoted in, <clears throat> in uh, the CBC, one of the articles that CBC News um, posted uh, in my interview with Susanna Maas, um, I indicated that really uh, a food service supervisor with an LMIA would rank higher under express entry than a rocket scientist who didn't. And really, any occupation that didn't have an LMIA. So, Minister McCallum, uh, he indicated that he did not like this preference to the Temporary Foreign Worker Program, but instead he wanted to see this trend reverse. So, in other words, he wanted to see express entry as the favored process for businesses who want to um, bring in immigrants to meet their labor shortages. And then the PNP, or the Provincial Nominee Programs, and then last, the Temporary Foreign Worker Program. So, he said the challenge for, for his department is to make express entry, get this, okay, more flexible, more fluid, and more desirable for businesses wanting to bring immigrants to Canada. And like I am indicated already, to make it the first choice and not the third choice for businesses. So the first proposed change, and, and he said, you know, in his terms, uh, f- this is the most for sure thing that they're going to do, is recognize one, that international students, and all of you international students who are out there on post-grad work permits, um, this is a huge positive. (coughs) He indicated that we need to re-recognize them, essentially, international students, as the best source of immigrants to Canada. He said, why? Because they know French and English. Because they know Canada. Because they're educated. Because they are young all good reasons to be great Canadians. And if you listen to Minister McCallum, he repeats that speech just about everywhere he goes. And um, he said that we should encourage them to come here and not slap them in the face by taking away, and he gave an example, the 50% credit for time served in Canada, like time spent in Canada, so that you can qualify for citizenship faster, which is something that they're, they're looking at reversing. You know, he, he said he also wants to make it easier and give more points to facilitate their entry to Canada as PRs. And he said that is pretty well for sure. Now, the other things are less for sure, he said. So at least one thing we can count on, count on is that when it comes to international students, changes will come. Now, how fast? We'll see. Essentially, he said they're also looking at possibly less points for people getting LMIAs um, you know, that are job offers that are uh, approved or supported by an LMIA. He said, because right now it's totally dominant and has certain unintended consequences. And, you know, that's exactly the way we see it playing out. So he said, possibly um, they may limit or, you know, limit or eliminate the use of the LMIA under express entry. But he emphasized, and I'll emphasize here, that he's not committed to doing this. But it certainly... Uh, is something that they're committed to looking at. Um, and he indicated that they're looking at doing it very seriously. So hmm, I guess it's something that we can look forward to potentially in the future. All right, let's shift to another area. And this is really a hodgepodge. This is a melting pot, you know, of, of different topics that encompass the whole immigration landscape. But number seven he jumped into was live-in caregiver program. And uh, so he says that he thinks that it is 
a great program for young people and aging people who need care. And he acknowledged that the processing times will be coming down automatically in the next few months as they make changes. Um, But he talked about one major campaign promise that they made with respect to the live-in caregiver program. And he said that they are looking at making significant changes to how it works. So if you are someone who's in need of a live-in caregiver or a live-in caregiver yourself, um, one of the changes that they're looking at is having a system of regulated companies who hire the caregivers on behalf of families who need them and then deploy them to the various households uh, that, that are in need of that care. And there's a lot to that. It really makes a lot of sense. He said that the changes will help families because essentially they'll spare those poor families the nightmare. Now, he said hassle, but I'll add nightmare of going through the LMIA process. And it will actually benefit the caregiver because if there is any problems in the household and there are circumstances of abuse, the company can then just transfer that caregiver from household A to household B, thus protecting their interests. And essentially, it's it's going to help both sides. So I found that quite quite a good proposal. And we'll see how that unfolds over the next little while here. All right, number eight. He now wants to talk about how IRCC is dealing with the challenges of two departments. So essentially, um, you know, the, the interaction between uh, Immigration, Refugees and Citizenship Canada and the Canada Border Service Agency, who both have various functions, obviously the CBSA a lesser role in the administering of immigration in Canada. And um, it's interesting, the minister described, um, you know, the, the future of immigration in Canada as, uh, as being um, a sunny day. And he indicated that sunny days have arrived with IRCC, but may have not yet arrived with the CBSA. And this comment, or, or at least point number eight here, was brought forward through uh, some questions from one of our CBA members. And so these sunny days that have arrived with IRCC, the minister recognized that, um, <clears throat> you know, that there is some challenges associated with the separation of immigration uh, into um, a part of it going with CIC and then the enforcement part going with CBSA in the past. And there was a question that came from one of our members that basically asked uh, whether the minister had considered um, bringing back of those, you know, the immigration back into the fold of just one department versus two. And uh, Minister McCallum jokingly, you know, he referred to the fact that, well, if it meant that either he... Um, or Ralph Goodale, the, the Minister of Public Safety, would have to lose their job, then he wasn't in favor of that. But he said he, he, you know, he can't speak for the CBSA, but he knows that there's been a culture of enforcement throughout the CBSA. And uh, ironically, he identified something that's near and dear to my heart, because I was one of those officers working on the border, um, both immediately before and um, you know, just right before the transformation took place. And uh, he said that the public servants within the CBSA are awarded for catching as many bad people as possible. And oh yeah, that is the case. In fact, if you're fortunate, you might even get on border security and, and get on TV for your, you know, your relentless pursuit of those uh, terrible you know, DUI holding uh, foreign nationals trying to sneak into the country or, or that, uh, uh, that you know, smuggling in, um, you know, 
some form of contraband in their bags as they're entering the country. So those are the, the emphasis. Well, that is the emphasis and focus for the public servants within the CBSA. And he even <laughs> indicated that he understood there was a quota for how many refugees could be exposed. <laughs> so I don't know exactly what he meant by that, but I think he was alluding to some kind of an internal thing that, you know, CBSA had serious reservations about 25,000 immigrants coming into Canada, and surely there must be some, you know, some unscrupulous or, uh, you know, the individuals with terrorist tendencies that are, you know, are going to be brought in. And that was the fear-mongering that existed. So I guess we'll, I guess we'll see. But ultimately, um, you know, the minister is well aware of that challenge between, you know, that, that polar challenge between CIC and CBSA with respect to their culture. CIC or IRCC, I guess I should say, is, you know, the focus is, is facilitation or at least in theory it is, whereas CBSA, it's, um, it's enforcement and, and, you know, the protection of Canadian security. So, so that was interesting. All right. And then um, one of our other members came in and asked him, you know, basically what the future held for the provincial nominee programs. And for a long time, the p- various PNPs have been lobbying to have uh, their numbers increased. And so when Minister McCallum was asked this, um, whether the Liberals are considering increasing the allocation of nominations to the provinces. And I think I talked about this in, in episode 12 of, of the Canadian Immigration Podcast, where I addressed the Alberta Immigrant Nominee Program. There are currently 5,500 nominations that are allocated each year. Um, the, the minister indicated that he was of two minds on, the, on that issue. He said he's willing to do whatever is best for the country, but being a federal person, he said that... Uh, um, he doesn't really want the role, <clears throat> at least the federal role of immigration, to disappear altogether. And he pointed out something that I found very interesting. He said that now there is a total of 50% of economic immigrants that come through, um, <clears throat> you know, that immigrate through the provincial nominee programs across the country. And so he said, if that's best for Canada, then fine. But he emphasized again, and this is where it's really going to be interesting, and this, this is why I focus so much on express entry. I just love it. He said the big theme of his speech today was to improve express entry so it becomes the first choice for employers. So he said his priority right now is to improve express entry. He wants companies to see the federal programs, i.e. express entry, as their first choice. And what is the most, here we go again, flexible, best, accommodating choice there would be. And uh, he then expected, you know, that if that was the case and they were successful with flipping that around, then there'd be less demand on the PNPs each year. So those caps, you know, those quotas or those allocations of basically 5,500 that a lot of the provinces have um, wouldn't be oversubscribed. But the reality is they are now because express entry is just so dang difficult to qualify. And so... um, he says he also wants to add more immigration, some more numbers, uh, but first the desire is to improve the federal program so that it's just more attractive for employers. All right, and last but not least, I'm just going to come back to this one, and that's what's in store for international students. And I addressed this a little bit earlier, but someone else brought in and said, okay, well, how fast can these students expect this? You know, there's many students that have really been suffering because of these changes. And they had no idea this was happening. They've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars into our, you know, pumped into our economy, 
uh, to, to get an education and that, you know, they really haven't been a drain in any way, but just contributing. And so one of our CBA members asked him, well, how fast is this going to move forward? And, um, the minister said that, uh, Minister McCallum said, well, he has a habit of, some people say that he has a habit of moving too fast, but sometimes it's important to do it fast. And he said, there is some urgency in this matter. And he thinks, um, really that, that, that they need to focus on two things and do things in stages. And first, stage one, he said, is to essentially, like we talked about before, give more points to students under express entry. Now, there's a lot of discussion how that's going to play out. Maybe they'll get points uh, for Canadian education that isn't otherwise, you know, attributed to, to, to obtaining more or different points than foreign education. And, uh, and then he was quite vague about stage two, which was basically... Okay, we could look at giving more points to students under express entry, and then we'll do other things to improve express entry. So the exciting part of that is um, they're open to suggestions. They're open to dialogue. They're open to, to people giving them um, direction in how express entry can really balance the needs economically with the realities of just who can qualify. And to make sure that everyone have an, you know, has an equal opportunity and that it's not just driven by uh, who has an LMIA. So um, he's hoping, at least for himself, he said, um, to do the student you know, changes as quickly as he can. And uh, in closing, he, he brought up this whole concept of ministerial instruction. And ministerial instruction was something that was put in by the Conservatives to effectively allow the minister to make changes to immigration programs and, uh, uh, and make changes to the ways in which people can qualify for those programs without having to go through the full formal vetting process, the full formal, formal regulatory process um, in Parliament. And Minister McCallum said he doesn't agree with, with the ministerial instruction concept, but he said there are some times where, you know, having the ability to act quickly when it just makes sense and it's the right thing to do, you know, that there's good causes for that to happen. And, and he emphasized that, uh, you know, he, he thought we all as immigration lawyers would agree that ministerial instructions for the purposes of making changes to, to help foreign students, you know, would be one of those times where it, it would be nice to have. Now, whether he's going to use ministerial instructions to make quick changes or not, we're just not sure. But at the end of the day, he is uh, definitely open and open and understanding of the plight of international students. So there you have it. So what do we get from all of this? You know, as we go through all of these changes, you know, we talked about a whole host of things in my top 10 list. We talked about the fact they, they're prepared to listen to stakeholders like us lawyers. Um, we talked about their emphasis on refugees uh, and how refugees are a valued addition to our country, not just economic refugees. Um, he talked about the changes they're making to the Citizenship Act to re repeal some of the things that the Conservatives put in. Um, the benefits to the family class, the changing the age of dependency from 19 back to 22. Um, he also talked about uh, the changes to the economic class applications and how they're looking at um, you know, trying to, to do all they can to not let um, economic immigrants um, appear to be the only thing Canada wants, but at the same time, going out of their way, uh, you know, to, um, to allow all forms of immigrants to, to have an equal say and an equal weight in 
the immigration policy of, of the Liberal government. He then addressed some of the changes to express entry, which are, it'll be interesting to see where that goes, uh, overhauls to the live-in caregiver program. Um, he talked about the interaction between the CBSA and CIC and working together. Um, and uh, and then, you know, the fact that the provincial nominee programs are likely not going to be getting more allocations anytime soon because his emphasis and focus is going to be on express entry and making it more attractive to employers. And finally, it's clear uh, as, as the number 10 on my top 10 list that international students have a soft spot in the minister's um, heart and uh, so it shouldn't be too long before we see changes that will benefit those who are just hanging on as best they can so there you have it the top 10 list thank you so much for listening to this podcast i hope i didn't go too long today Um, my intention is to make this a more regular uh, podcast i look forward to any suggestions that you have in terms of topics that we can have um, I've done a few interviews. One of my interviews with my good friend, Rekha McNutt, in uh, Calgary, um, the audio quality was not quite good enough. So this is a shout out to Rekha that I'm going to be calling you to redo our interview because um, I want you to sound as awesome as you possibly can because Rekha is my appeal person, my federal court person that I go to, and uh, she works with Karen and Partners in Calgary, Alberta. And I'm looking forward to having her um, interview completed in a way uh, where the audio and her sound on her end is as good as, as mine is here with my mic. So that uh, pretty much concludes the uh, 13th episode of the Canadian Immigration Podcast in our first season. And uh, I would encourage you to go to iTunes if you haven't and subscribe. If you wish to leave some positive comments, that would be awesome too, uh, because that is most definitely the uh, the way that this podcast will gain more attention and get out to more more people and like I said the whole purpose of creating this is to is to offer help to people and uh, so subscribe to iTunes and then also go to the Canadian Immigration Podcast and uh, subscribe to um, leave your email address with me there and then you'll be notified of new content that's released and uh, everything really all the episodes all my blogs are all in the Canadian Immigration Podcast right now. All right, so that concludes episode 13. Thank you so much for sticking it out with me. If you have any suggestions or comments on how to, you know, other other topics that we can cover, if you have any questions, uh, I think maybe in the next podcast I may consider even doing a, a Q&A with the questions that I get uh, from some of the listeners, but we'll see where it goes from here. Thanks a lot. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Canadian Immigration Podcast, your trusted source for information on Canadian law, policy, and practice. If you would like to contribute a question for future podcasts or wish to set up a legal consultation with Mark, please visit www.ht-llp.com. Set you straight.
got